This is Trackside with Kirk Cavan and Kevin Lee. 300,000 people pass through the gates of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway to witness a contest which takes 3 hours, 10 minutes, and 11 seconds. But they're just seeing the end of a story that takes a full month to tell. Welcome race fans from Indiana, the United States, and around the world. It's the dream of every racing fan to be able someday to visit Gasoline Alley. Drivers and mechanics gathered for an assault on speed. Dario Brachini takes the defensive line into one side. Circumstance as a more than century old tradition comes alive again. Ambrose and reporters, somebody's given him a bottle of milk. Well, that race would make anybody thirsty. There's a four time win on the line for Elio Castro Neves. Look at the crowd, they know history's on the line. Welcome to the four time club, Elio Castro Neves. That is awesome. 33 cars. 200 laps around the most famous racetrack in the world. It is the greatest spectacle in racing. It is the Indianapolis 500. Welcome to Trackside. We swiped that off of Twitter today from the Indianapolis Motor Speedway account. We've got our first Indy 500 one-off confirmation. And as mentioned last week, available seats are going quickly Several young drivers in play for full-season seats were on track last week at Sebring. Drivers trying to work their way to IndyCar will be on the IMS road course all weekend, including Indy Lights on Friday, whose grid continues to grow. Outside of IndyCar, F1 is in America this weekend. And NASCAR has a lot going on that maybe we get to before we're done tonight. And in just a few moments, we've got the president of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, Doug Bowles, in studio. Hello, welcome. Thanks for joining us. Trackside 93.5-1075 in Indianapolis. In the studios, the drivehubler.com studios overlooking Monument Circle. Just to check and make sure the key cards still work. My first visit since the transition to uh, Radio 1. It did work. Fantastic. Happy to be here today. Josh Moldenix is our studio producer. Kurt Cavan is downstairs collecting Doug, and I'm Kevin Lee, and another special in-studio guest. Uh, we do this on occasion at some of the charity events that Kurt and I have uh, been at, and it's it's kind of easy pickings whenever we do an event. One thing that we've been surprised that people have interest in is we auction off an opportunity to sit in studio with us for an evening. So Dr. Nasser Hanna is the, quote, winner, or maybe that's the, the loser, maybe first prize was one visit, second prize is two visits in studio, but he donated at the Prime 47 Burger Bash in May, which benefited the IU Simon Comprehensive Cancer Center. And coincidentally enough, Dr. Hanna is uh, one of the, the top specialists at the IU Simon Comprehensive Cancer Center and also works with End Lung Cancer now. Actually, I think your wife Amy made this donation, right? 
Uh, but that... but she designated you to come in tonight. She's unavailable. Good for her. She found better things to do. Yeah, no, she did make the donation, and she is a huge IndyCar fan as well. Well, we'll have to pass along a picture for her tonight, and Dr. Hannah has joined us in studio because I think he was the high bidder last year for an event, so we thank him. And full disclosure, Dr. Hannah, I've mentioned before, is the person that brought uh, the Cancer Center together with my son Jackson's racing program, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. And while we wait for Doug to come up, actually, Doug's walking in now, so we'll get into the meat of it a little bit. Uh, Dr. Hannah, get your questions together. You can be a journalist, and you can uh, query Doug as well. Thanks for coming in. It's good to see you. Yeah, it's good to see you. Um, I came in extra early as well because I wanted to beat the Lizzo traffic. Hopefully, you found a place to park. I had to go make sure I had my tickets. So I picked him up at Will Call. And nice. I'll head over, I'll head head over straight there. Straight over this. there. You got it. Yeah. Just, just expense the parking. <laughs> expense the parking for us tonight. So uh, we are happy to have Doug in studio. If you have a question for us, we can try to sneak something in at Kevin Lee 23 at Kurt Cavan. Let's get right into it. Kind of a, a year in review situation, Doug. And in many ways, the first anywhere close to normal year we've had in several, and the first since Penske Entertainment took things over i guess in a broad picture way was it nice to actually kind of go back to what the the job used to be about promoting and holding events and welcoming people to your place i think for sure and the biggest thing i think for most of us on the team was the opportunity to have a normal indianapolis 500 under roger's ownership yeah you know roger has been a great steward through a really difficult time that he had no idea none of us had any idea that we were going to deal with when he was announced to purchase that he was purchasing the speedway in november of 19 and and when it became official in early January, and, you know, he had a whole bunch of plans. We started thinking about what's the Speedway look like long term. And then when COVID hit, it was just a matter of how do we weather the storm and then let's get us back to a normal Indianapolis 500 and, frankly, a normal year at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. And now that we've got that done, we can start thinking about next year and then maybe get back to thinking about what's the next five or ten years look like mm. through the vision of Roger Penske. So having it this year the way that it turned out was fantastic. The, the, the fan support, especially for the 500, was just unbelievable. And I think for Roger uh, to see that happen, see how many people came back to the Speedway was a, just a really, really special day. You know, we are pretty close to midway between the 500s when you look at it from this perspective because it's not just the date of the Indy 500. I know that's still more than seven well, 222 days to go. But I'll look at it from this perspective. The open test is April 20th and 21st, so that is six months and two days from now. So from that, that's kind of when it'll really feel like it's almost upon us. As you look back to this past year and look ahead to next year, what was learned, what because every year you find something, oh, we could do this a little bit better. Yeah, this is something that maybe we can grow as we move forward. Is there anything that you can share that's on the horizon for next year's 500? Well, we're not going to RPE the pit lane, the warm-up lane this fall as we lead into <laughs> as we lead into the spring. Oh, we certainly learned that that. Uh, uh, that that doesn't do as well there. It does better on the racetrack because we actually have vehicles on it and continues to, to get through that. We actually learned, I think, that that RPE is a penetrant. It actually sinks in and if you think of the racetrack as a sponge the idea is it's supposed to absorb all that inside the racetrack well this was the third application on the racetrack and the second application on the warm-up lane and we think what happened is that sponge just was full so a lot of that residue stayed on the top in the warm-up lanes and then ultimately uh, that created those problems in the open test thankfully we had the open test that early test so that we could uh, stay up all night for several nights and work our way through and get and get that fixed so we definitely learned uh, we, we learned that um, for the for the month of may i think the other things we learned 
learned is, you know, the snake pit was still a big hit. Uh, we've got to grow it again. It had been three years since those uh, young adults had been in there. So you lost a group of kids, adults who had gone year over year. We also had uh, reduced our or increased the age limit there to 18. We did that in 19. Uh, so we have one year of that, but so you, so you don't have those high schoolers, you don't have those uh, college kids programmed to show up on Snake Pit. So that that number was a little bit lower last year than than we would have liked. But it, but certainly when you're closing in on twenty thousand young adults in one spot for a concert, it's still a big a big event. So we had to do a little a uh, little bit of adjusting there to keep that momentum going for the Snake Pit. That's one of the things we've definitely learned. Traffic was a challenge for a lot of people getting in and getting out, so we've gotten on top of that, trying to figure out exactly what uh, what caused that as you start getting yourself closer to the speedway on the way in and then further away on the way out. So a lot of things there, but the biggest thing I think we learned that we really appreciate, and we saw it in our renewals, uh, the fans wanted to be back for the Indianapolis 500. We had the best renewal period, which, so that's those 500 hours from the checkered flag as you renew your tickets for the next year that we've ever had since I've been around, even more than we had in 15 leading into the 100th running in 16 and from 16 leading into 17. So that tells you a lot about the Indy 500 and the health of the Indy 500. So excited, excited about next year. Do we see a lot of ticket sales in the summer and the fall to to ask, you know, how are things trending for next year or... Does it really get started more around after the the new year? So there, there, there are three real big points where we sell a lot. Obviously, we sell the most tickets in those 500 hours immediately following the the, the race leading into uh, or or a year out. Really, we'll have another significant sale when we go back on sale with our tickets. So basically, what we've been doing since the checkered flag is we have been accepting renewals Mm -hmm. and then figuring out who didn't renew and who asked for an upgrade. And is that seat available that that person wants to upgrade in? So that's a big process when you're talking about 235,000 permanent seats and trying to move people around and and get them where they want to go. And as you can imagine, there are a few areas that are super, super high demand that have very, very little turnover. So trying to trying to work through that. Uh, So then we'll have this the the next big uh, the next big ticket sales will happen once we announce that we're back on live sales, I guess the best way to put it. And then it's really then the last, call it six to eight weeks leading into the 500 that's our next bid period. Well, we yeah. sell tickets all year long, but those are our three big buckets of time that we actually sell tickets. There are three NASCAR Cup champions who have expressed an interest in racing in next year's Indy 500, and all would like to do the double, would like to run the NASCAR race, I think. That's what Jimmy Johnson is trending towards, or at least he's open to it have there been any discussions uh about what can be done to help that process along logistically changing the time of the race by a little bit what what's been talked about in regards to that you know we really haven't talked about time uh, a time change at all I, I hopefully they you know kurt bush made it work mm-hmm. you know i think others can make it work i think the biggest thing that happens from our end is when i hear somebody's interested i'll shoot him a text and tell him how cool it is and check in with you know somebody like kurt bush who who did it and was really uh, really amazed by the experience obviously jimmy has participated in the indy 500 so he knows how how special that is but i, I want to be a little careful i'd love to have those guys there but really the indy 500 is about the NTT IndyCar Series drivers who compete all year long. And while I love having a NASCAR driver there, it's just as exciting uh, with the IndyCar drivers we have. So I try and be a little careful. I'd love to have a Kyle Larson or a Kyle Busch. You know, I'd love to have those guys competing in the Indy 500. Um, But if you told me I had to pick between those guys and and our regulars, I'll take our regulars all day long. We have some really, really talented, exciting race car drivers in our series right now. And I think they make the 500 exciting. And that's a fair point, too, because while you could maybe move a start time by 12 minutes, the other argument would be, well, what does 12 minutes really do? Eh, It might keep them from missing a driver's meeting. I don't know. 
But it's not like it's imperative to have those guys. The event is still what it is, whether they can make it or not. So really it's up to, hey, our schedule's been there. Uh, If you want to try to make it work, it can happen. And if so, we'd love to have you. But we're not necessarily going to change everything just to accommodate this. And and that's right. And I have a really great uh, relationship with Marcus Smith and with Greg Walter over at at Charlotte. And, And in fact, during COVID, I talked to our Charlotte guys almost every week as we were trying to make sure if they were making decisions, we were making together because we were racing on the same day. And so mm-hmm. we didn't want to be uh, against each other in the way that we were the way that we were operating our race on the you know on the same day of the year, especially uh, when we are in COVID and even in 2021. So Greg and I have already talked about it and how can we if a double is actually going to happen, then how do we do it in a way that benefits both Charlotte Motor Speedway and the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. How do we really own that entire day? That's the fun that Greg and I have. Is let's uh, let's let the Indianapolis Motor Speedway own the day up until about three thirty or four o'clock in the afternoon, and let's get everybody then paying attention to what happens in Charlotte. And and it, it really is a big racing day uh, in our country. And obviously, there's an F1, a little F1 race that usually takes place there in the in the morning U.S. time that uh, makes it a pretty fun day if you're a race fan. But um, you know, if we get to a point where we've got somebody, we'll work with Greg and we'll make sure we've got helicopters and all the things to get them there as quickly as possible and the escorts that are needed. But I don't think we'll adjust time. Doug Bowles, the Indianapolis Motor Speedway president, is in studio with us. Uh, The Brickyard next year moves back to August, really just, what, two weeks or so later than it has been. The 12th and 13th weekend, still on the road course, still including IndyCar on the Saturday. I've heard some conversation, even Roger Penske has said, hey, we're open to maybe considering the Oval again. I know a lot of the NASCAR drivers have been vocal about that what's the conversation like where do things stand for 24 and beyond about that event well i think i think the nice thing about it is everybody's open to exploring it i felt like it was important and i think roger felt it was important as did nascar that we continue to give the uh, the road course an opportunity to see how the cars the cars run there. So only this will only be our third year with the Cup cars on the on the road course. Obviously, we had Xfinity the first year when Cup was still on the oval. But I think it's important as well. One of the things that's unique about our place, and I think is important, is we can get into a situation where we're doing some sort of rotation. You can run on the mm-hmm. oval at the speedway, and then maybe one year you're running on the road course. We just have to get to a point where that cadence makes sense, and and how do we work that? I know, you know, the old time guys for sure want to run on the oval. But even talking to a lot of the younger guys, somebody like Chase Briscoe, who's an absolutely great road course racer, you know, won the Xfinity race at the Speedway when we had it. Um, he loved to run on the Oval. I mean, they just those drivers as well know about the history and tradition of what happens on the Oval and would love to be there. And, um, you know, it's just a matter of kind of thinking through. My personal feeling is if we go back to the Oval, I'd love for the Oval to only be the Indy 500 and the Brickyard 400. I would rather not. Uh, do it with sort of the support series stuff. I think it should. It needs to be really special, and there's an opportunity if we get in some sort of rotation like that where you're either an Indy 500 winner or a Brickyard 400 winner when you get a chance to run on the Oval. Can you run on the road course the same weekend again? That's been well, we, done. It, we did it in we did it in twenty. For example, um, if you wanted Xfinity to continue correct, on the do, road course, well, and if we want IndyCar as part of that weekend, we'd have yeah. to do it on the road course, yeah. right? So, so you would have to have a weekend that included the road course if you want IndyCar on it. And the same time. You know, we've been really um, pretty vocal from our end at the Speedway. I love having, I'd love to have an IndyCar race every weekend at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. They could probably struggle to sell tickets every weekend if we did that, but but I think it would be fun. But also, as Jay Fry and uh, Michael Montry and Roger and, and Mark kind of think through what's an IndyCar series schedule look like, if it needs to 
take a date from the Indianapolis Motor Speedway that date that NASCAR date and take it somewhere else you know we'll be the first to say whatever's best for the series let's yeah. let's let's go do that but in the meantime if IndyCar is going to be part of that weekend it definitely has to be has to be on the road course so we definitely have to have to make that conversion uh, what do you expect from the IMSA IMSA event next September um, how and, and along with that how do we all go about spreading the word and marketing the event because it it is going to be a little bit more of a challenge to get the community involved with that, especially as the third event of the year. Yeah, I, I you know we've had the SRO Indy Eight Hour the last few years, which has been an awful lot of fun to have. This year, you know, we had it just a couple of weeks ago, and we actually ran into the dark. We yeah. ran only forty five minutes past sunset, but it, the place looks pretty amazing with uh, those cars lit up driving around. We had about sixty light towers that we put up around the facility and some strategic places for fans, but as well uh, for the drivers. Uh, so I think next year, when you bring in the IMSA race in the middle of September and you carry it on, where we end up with the Indy hour in October that last month uh, of our event season if you will is going to really be all about sports cars so we're really excited about it but having the deep having the GTP cars or the DP cars as we think of them now but having those those prototype cars at the speedway and the number of manufacturers that are involved in those prototype cars I think there's going to be a lot of interest in that and we're also we talked about um, really trying to camp the entire infield so we're working on how do we make it a celebration so something unique around that uh, that event is the uh, opportunity for fans to come in and just camp the entire weekend inside the speedway as part of that race and that's what folks expect when you go to an endurance race. You expect that ability to do that. And then ultimately, uh, I'd love to see that six-hour and 42-minute race starting in 2024. You're still on that. I'm good, on that. And, and I, I mention that all the time because it was your idea that I heard from a while back. Well, and a lot of people would, would like us to do a 24-hour race, but it's challenging for IMSA. It's challenging for the teams. That's, you know, a 24-hour race is essentially, you know, 10 Yes. of the races that they normally do in terms of engine miles and wear and tear on race cars. So they have to start thinking about what events do they limit. So I think a six-hour, 42-minute race is probably about as long as IMSA could probably work out at the Speedway and still fit within the number of miles that they put on, or, you know, hours that they put on their engines right now. And it, and it ties to our history. So much of what makes the Speedway special is its history and tradition. So if we could tie back to that, you know, I think that helps. And run it into the dark, I think, could make it a lot of fun, too. So... My vision would be, you know, start at four o'clock in the afternoon and end at ten forty, ten forty-two. But we'll we'll see. And working with John Dune and the folks in IMSA and the teams there, we're excited about. We're going to have that. that we're going to have a four-hour night race next year on Saturday night with their uh, their pilot challenge series. So that that should be a fun fun year to uh, continue to experiment with uh, with lights. And we'll do uh, SRO asked if they could go an hour later next year. So Ooh. we might do it. We might do a two o'clock start. They can go to a nine o'clock finish. Did you see any visibility issues in that half hour when it was really dark at the end of this the, the eight hour? The only visibility issue that I saw is if you're a casual fan and you aren't sitting in your seat watching every single car and really knowing them, it's hard when the lights are gone or when the sun's gone and all you're seeing are headlights, it's really hard to know where the leaders are and where the battles are. So we have to do a better job of figuring out how to tell that story in the dark for the fans. I didn't really get any um, feedback from teams that there was a challenge. We think maybe we would light up, um, maybe turn ten, the 7, 8, 9, 10 complex a little bit more. But for the most part, the rest of it uh, the rest of it shows pretty well. Hey, you're speaking to the choir. As someone who's been in the booth for a race at night, it's no different than Petit Le Mans right. or Sebring. Yep. Daytona is not bad. Daytona is pretty well lit, but Sebring and Petit Le Mans, I got no idea which car is which going through the dark. So in that, that sense, it's kind of the same. Speaking of lights, people always like to ask about lights at IMS, and, and not that it would be needed for the sports car race. Uh, the only other thing I could think of value would be, all right, if you went back to the Oval, 
for a cup race in the summertime. People sometimes complain about the heat. That's where it could have value. I know it's super expensive. Is that conversation totally tabled, or does it still come up every once in a while? Well, I mean, obviously we get the question a lot, and um, I can't recall the last time we've had that conversation internally at the Speedway. Um, Early on, when Roger first bought the Speedway, he said, what are some of the things we can do to help revive Brickyard Weekend? So we walked through a whole bunch of things with him. One of them included lights, um, and we walked through with you know, why we were considering it, where we got to, why it ultimately didn't happen. It changes. If you put a whole bunch of lights up, hundreds of lights up around the Indianapolis Motor Speedway and light poles, it changes the way that place looks, even in the daytime. It changes the way that place feels in the daytime. Um, so to do that is a pretty big commitment and a pretty b- it doesn't seem like it, but it go, go to a racetrack and look at how those lights impact and those towers impact the site, you know, the, the way that the way our roof structure looks. There's just something iconic about that. So we'd have to be prepared to make that change. And and while I think it does get people out of the heat, I don't know that it is transformational in terms of, oh, man, man 200,000 people are coming back to the to the Brickyard 400. No, no, it's... I and, think it would And help. I haven't even talked about the money piece yet, right? And the, yeah. and the money piece is even a bigger challenge. So, um, you know, I just, like I said, I, the last con- conversation I think we had about it must have been sometime in early 2020. That's a good point about the, the look of the place changing. As a Cubs fan, when they added lights to Wrigley Field, it changed. And, and we understood why it was happening and why it had to happen, but it didn't go over well with everyone. Wrigley Field looks different than it did uh, pre-1988, when there were no lights, and they did that as well as they could, mostly just on top of the grandstands. And the difference between Wrigley, I mean, they're doing it in a way that they can maximize that over multiple games, right? We're, we would do it for, for essentially one, one yeah. or or one of the arguments early on, and I, I, I sort of subscribed to this argument, was you'd never start the Indy 500 at night. But if it rained during the morning and the day, you could certainly get it in on that day um, if you had lights and you could keep people around that for- and not force them to have to make a decision between am I going home, do I have to go back to work tomorrow versus seeing the race the next day. Um, but those, that's not every year that that happens. So it would, you would really be doing that for one, essentially one day a year. Um, Dr. Hanna is our in-studio guest. Did you have a question for Doug you'd like to ask from yeah. a fan's perspective? Yeah, from a fan's perspective. Um, so the question I have is, is there any possibility of changing the direction that the road course is run on? So it's a great question. So obviously with uh, MotoGP, we ran in an opposite direction. So we ran what our traditional oval direction and turn one of the oval actually, or, or turn 14 of the road course was actually turn one um, of the road course for, Mo- for MotoGP. We could definitely run in opposite direction. Um, and it's something we continue to think about when we make changes to the facility. We want to make sure that those changes we make don't keep us from going both directions. The curbing, the permanent curbing, even the one we put in that the NASCAR guys blew up and the replacement we put in there is bi-directional. So you can run across it both ways. Oftentimes a racetrack has a curbing. You can only run going in one direction. Mm. So we have the ability to do that. Um, you know, I've talked about it could be interesting to, um, even if you incorporate turn oval turn two into the road course, um, is there a way you could use e- in either direction and, and, or, but if you did it in opposite direction or, or counterclockwise, if you used um, turn 14, 13, and 12 as 1, 2, and 3, um, instead of taking that little uh, section that takes you in field, stay out on turn 2, um, make a hard 90-degree right, and get back up. So there's all kinds of things we could do. And, in fact, when we 
in 2013 and 14 when we when we redid this road course we actually ran it in both directions with an indy car with a lot of variations like that to try and figure out which would race best and potentially you know if somebody wanted to test for more like a street circuit you know you could maybe make some 90 degree corners and some different things we just have never really um decided to sit down and try something different but there it's not something i don't think we'd be opposed to looking at is the racing schedule full at IMS? When you think the number of weekends, you've got three weekends in May. You've got the Brickyard. You've got now a major IMSA race plus SRO weekend, and there are a few other weekends along yep. with that. Is there any room, is there any interest in any other significant motorsports series, or do you feel like, eh, it's about enough on our plates? We were busier this year than I think we've been in our history at the Speedway, not just with events. So you've got our, you know, we've got our vintage race this year. We had a Ferrari Challenge and a Porsche, Porsche Together Fest. Next year, Ferrari Challenge taking a year off. They'll be back in 2024. Porsche's taking a year off because Ren Sport takes place at Laguna next year, but I assume they'll be back in 2024. So you bring those back in. The BC39, obviously, is a, is mm-hmm. a, um, a, a race event that takes place and has now sort of becoming a standalone, um, just given the way that uh, the short track schedule and NASCAR schedules uh, come together you know i don't know that there's really room for anything else you know everybody asks hey when are you going to get a formula one race you know we're still we're still fia grade one so i guess if there was a way that uh, it would make sense for formula one to come we'd certainly love to uh, explore it i just at this point in time i don't think we're we're on their roadmap which is fine um you know we're full as it is and uh, we'll see where they go but i can't think of anything really off the top of my head that would make sense to add to that. I get I get questions a lot about motorcycles. That's one thing as we continue to make changes around the speedway. Um, we don't have our air fence anymore, so we'd have to do some modification again to get to get, especially to get MotoGP back. Uh, what about other events? What's the philosophy at this point about making the facility used for major concerts, things like that? I think we'd still, if the right band came through with the right schedule, I think we'd still consider that. It's not something that we're actively pursuing right now. I mean, really, when COVID happened, Roger said, okay, let's get through COVID, and then and then let's get ourselves back to where we're executing a normal yeah. year at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, which we just sort of completed this year. And so I think then now is when you can start having those conversations again. So we really haven't. Uh, but like I said, if... You know, the Rolling Stones called up and said, hey, we got an open date and we'd love to figure out, you know, doing something like that again. We certainly consider it. Probably no one cares about this other than people like me. I, I saw Roger told Nathan Brown of the Indianapolis Star, the TV compound is moving. <laughs> is my short walk going away? Um, the TV compound is moving. Yes, your short walk is going away. <sighs> so we are... Yeah, I don't know. There, I, I may be wrong in this, but I can't think of another racetrack, especially an oval, where the TV compound is in the middle of the racetrack. Most oh, of them are on the outside of the are, racetrack. And I loved it here. <laughs> so the challenge for us is as we start, as it's amazing you have this big, huge facility and parking is a problem. But we also, when you think about, especially when you're in road course configuration, we, you eliminate everything inside oval turn one. You eliminate everything basically inside oval turn four. Then you've got a golf course basically the entire backstretch you've got a museum all of a sudden we don't have much parking space we don't have a lot of space for the midway to activate so partners and sponsors and people that want to activate so moving the tv compound to the north end of the facility outside of turn four allows us then to uh, create a better midway space for our customers when they're there our fans when they're there Um, i think over the next several years you'll probably see us completely rethink how that midway feel is so that it's much more customer friendly Uh, and the first piece to make that happen was the tv compound now the benefit for you 
is we'll get you out of gravel. We'll get you out of the flooding and the water and all the other issues, the dust and all the issues <laughs> that went along with that, that, that TV compound. We'll get you in some paved space. And, you know, it's a little bit of a trade-off, but yeah, the TV compound will uh, will be moving. I get it. That's prime real estate. And I was, I've been expecting it to go away for the last 15 years, so I was glad it lasted with the proximity as, as long as it did. Um, you get your steps in. Yeah, you definitely get them in from outside turn four. So I'm I'm still getting like 25,000 steps a day, even in the off season. Are you really? I walk around, I'll do 50 flights of stairs a day. It's a good opportunity for me just to get out and look and just take pictures and send to the team of things we need to fix in the off season. But see, that's what you should do event time. You just get out and just walk, and you I, I get, you get home and you'll feel really good. You I go, oh my gosh, how many steps did I get 20, in? Twenty thousand in on a race day. Then you're gonna get more now. Is, that's yeah. doing. Pretty well. Yep. I'm going to guess I'm going to raise my hand and ask for a golf cart. <laughs> I, I haven't in the past, but I probably will do that. There uh, are days next that time. the feet are much faster than the golf cart. They're definitely, that is so. true. And I usually just get out and walk the yep. rest of the way. Yep. Um, we talked about tickets a little bit, but one thing I know that is going extremely well are sweet sales. Yes. Uh, as someone in that, that business now, I am struggling to find them. Is there been thought of, can we do more temporary suites? Maybe even. Yep building more permanent structures where do things stand as far as as that aspect 100 percent uh we are sold out in our premium hospitality so whether it's uh, the suites or our hospitality venue like the conversation i was having you know where do you put parking same challenge where do you put even temporary um suite locations yeah. and yeah. you could put some on the outside of the racetrack views aren't very good you're disconnected from pit lane the garage areas uh, we did that one temporary suite that we did inside turn one during the 100th running, which we literally got through the the IndyCar Grand Prix, and then we built a temporary wall and built that in, in the course of a, uh, of about a week. So we're exploring that. We're looking at other places where you can build some hospitality. And then stepping back even further, just looking at the entire facility, are there places outside of the of the racetrack where we could either put something on top of a grandstand or renovate a grandstand and have it incorporate regular seating as well as hospitality. Those are longer-term uh, planning and solutions and trying to figure out how, how, it, uh, how it makes sense. But that is one of our biggest challenges is how do we accommodate uh, those folks that want that premium experience, and in particular, uh, teams and partners who are invested in the series who want to bring some of their clients out to, to uh, be part of it. And you're, you're in that boat. You're trying to bring your sponsors of your team out to be part of it and then when you don't have that 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 option to you it's a it's a challenge so we have to we have to solve it it's probably not getting solved completely for the next couple of years dr hannah is part of my team it's, it's looking for seats for dr hannah for next year well for now we'll just take an rsvp for the burger bash for next year you come and join us next year. Yeah, I, I don't know why what came up this year and I didn't, didn't well, get a chance. You to... might have a few things going on, so it's, it's excused. Yeah, well, I can't I can't see Curdo. Did you have one more question? Well, you know, our our uh, dream for the 500 is to be in those upper deck turn one seats. Yes. And I'll tell you, if there were Southwest Vista upper deck, like another section built. I know we would definitely buy those tickets. I imagine they'd sell out real quick. Is there is there any possibility of reconfiguring in that area? So what we've looked at is how where can you in some of those areas? Part of it, in fact, I was just, before I came here, I had a customer who said, hey, I just got upgraded to seats in Section 7, Southwest Vista, Row QQ. Uh, can you take a picture from my seat so I know what it looks like? So before I came here, I ran up the stairs, took a picture of <laughs> uh, the seat so I could show him where his seats were. And the problem with that particular grandstand, it is so tall already. Just the elevator, you know, the lifts and everything you'd have to do to get up there. Now, yeah. over um, E-Stand, 
between Southwest Vista and where East, where E Penthouse is, there is a section of East End that that uh, doesn't have a second deck to it. So I start walking around the back and think, is there a way you could build some sort of platform with something behind that? And the run isn't quite as long to get up there. Uh, it just it's a bigger task than we really think uh, to do some of those things. And you know, we've looked at can you put a second uh, second level on Holman Terrace Club? Can you put a second level on Tower Terrace? So, so um, we just have to really sit down and think think through what our options are. Where are they financially? What does it impact our current customer in terms of can we do it in between seasons? We're so busy right now trying yeah. to figure a lot of that out. So uh, it's definitely on our radar. And uh, I, the other thing is you don't want to take a Southwest Vista and change it, right? Because there have been people sitting in those seats for years and years and years. And to say to them, hey, guess what? We're going to tear this down, reconfigure it. And you might be in a, a similar location. I mean, what makes our event special is you're sitting in the seats that your dad took you in, or that yeah. his dad took him in. You know, those are... Uh, it's it's a balancing act at our place because that's as much about the experience as anything else. Yeah, in our section, it always amazes me. Every year, there is a, a woman in her 90s, I think, and it, it's been like her 70th mm-hmm. consecutive year. And uh, she's helped up there, and she sits in the same seat every year. Yep. It's it's remarkable. It's an it's a it's an amazing event, and it's because of stories like that that make it so amazing. People always ask questions. Okay, you're, we, we know what we know what you're doing when you're racing, and this <laughs> year has been particularly different. For the days that you haven't been racing, if people are in the area, they can still hear cars. Yep. They can still see on 16th Street. Rogers directed a lot of asphalt and changes. What else is kind of happening behind the scenes that doesn't involve an actual race? Well, obviously, the testing is a lot of what people hear. There's tons of testing that's gone on this speedway, especially with, you know, the IMSA races coming with SRO. You've got all kinds of testing that, that we haven't had in the past. Our relationship with BMW and the Performance Center, they did 30 days on track this year. Chevrolet did about 21 days on track with Corvettes and, you know, where they're bringing in customers and dealers. So it's that, there's a lot of that that keeps us really active. You know, right now we're within we're within um, roughly a month, a little less than a month of activity left. Our last activity will be November 9th. We've got a big run of Cadillac. Uh, some of those high-performance Cadillacs are coming in. They're going to do an OEM day where they're bringing in customers and clients for about a week in November. We've got our Road to Indy test coming up, those, those pieces. But really what's happening literally right now, the team's winterizing. So you've got almost uh, somewhere between 5,000 and 6,000 uh, fixtures, whether it's um, faucets or toilets or urinals or all those things throughout the facility and all the restrooms and concession stands. So we're right now going through and winterizing all that. So it's a matter of taking those apart, draining them all down. Uh, so a lot of that takes place right now. And about the time we get that all set, we're ready to send people home for Christmas. And then when we come back after the new year, then they start the process again of just getting all those things reopened again. We obviously don't put water in it at that point in time, but they've dried out. We can start putting fixtures back on. And then when we get to the point where we're pretty comfortable, we're not going to freeze things, we start loading things back up with water. So it's, and that doesn't include, you know, all the electrical power. I can't remember how many different, um, how many different meters we have on the facility, but it's somewhere in the neighborhood of 100 different meters throughout our 1,000 acres. So we're turning off power in different places and going through everything and repairing and uh, things that you can't do when cars are on track. So it is a, uh, it's a full-time job for our team. Roger was extremely involved in 2020, um, maybe a little bit less so in 21. How has his – I mean, I know when he's at the, at the office because his – plate number 18 for 18 Indy 500 wins is parked in space number 18 but uh how often is he on the property and and kind of ringing your phone now these days well he's in touch with us every day whether it's a text message or an email or a phone call and then he's been in uh 
he, he for a period of time he was in every week, and then through the summer this year he was in I'd say every other week because he was at IndyCar races every you know on those other weeks, and so we'd go to him and we go through things at an IndyCar race while he was traveling, and he was in here he wasn't in here last week, but he was in here the week before, and um, I think he's coming back in next week, so he's in pretty much every week and. He's available every day, and we definitely hear from him every day. But if you need something, it's amazing. You can shoot him a text or an email, and you get an answer back pretty quick. Or he'll say, hey, put that on the review list for next time. I I want to come out and see it and touch it and feel it and understand what you're trying to do. He's an amazingly hands-on person, and uh, I sent him a... um, a note one one day I can't remember it was a Saturday morning and I was out at the racetrack just kind of wandering through and I sent a picture of how beautiful the place looked and he, and his response back was I wish I was with you that's my favorite place on earth it's your home I wish it was mine too I mean it just and that's the kind of passion he has for the place and and he really loves the speedway and and he wants to be involved in it so he's he's there quite a bit thank you for coming in it's been far too long but you have a few other things to do, so we're not going to ask you very often, but it's great when you do have time. No, to, I appreciate it. I appreciate, stop by. I, I all, appreciate right. all you guys continue to do and communicate with our, our fans. And it's, uh, you know, I'm, you know, we're just ready for these 222 days to just go really quick so we can do it all over again. And it, just think, at one time, he was the official motorsports business analyst of this program, something along those lines. Yeah, it's scary. And he's moved it? yeah. on to uh, some bigger and better things yeah. at this point. I think it's worked out okay. It's been good, and maybe that's maybe that's why you guys should take credit for it. So yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. Doug Bowles, the president right. of the Indianapolis Thanks. Motor Speedway. Stay with us. Plenty more to come. We're just getting started. Trackside, 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Hi, this is Mark Erickson, and you're listening to Trackside on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. There's a guest from last year's Prime 47 Burger Bash. Back to our winning ways of inviting the eventual winner of the Indianapolis 500. That's got to help with recruiting. It does. Uh, and Marcus, you know, we wouldn't have predicted on 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 uh, Burger Bash Day last year but uh, or earlier this year, but he did a terrific job and was the best in class at the end of the race. So deserving winner and he's good he's been a good winner and i think uh, he's somebody that that uh, people really start to gravitate to as the years go by dr uh, hannah from the iu simon cancer center is in studio with us with kurt cabin i'm kevin lee jump in anytime you want but we'll just go about our business and get back to the the stories of the last week or so we've got a one-off indy 500 confirmation so i looked up the dates and this maybe goes back to what I was talking about last year, that I think we might kind of know everything, or at least the people involved might know everything by Christmas. Marco Andretti was confirmed uh, earlier this, was it yesterday or was it was it last week? <laughs> earlier this week was Monday, yes. And it was was mo- it yesterday? Monday morning okay. about 9.30. I know it was since our last show, which is all that matters. It's been since last Tuesday. He'll be in the uh, fifth Andretti car. With Cooler Technology Group, it would be his 18th 500. So I looked, when was he confirmed last year and announced? February 15th. So it's like, hey, we need to make sure this is on the record because uh, all the engines are going to be gone. I'm pretty sure they'd still have one left over for, for Marco and a fifth for Andretti, but might be a little sign of things to come. It is. It's it's uh, certainly it's getting late early, as uh, we talk about often, that, that deals are coming together and and being announced and, and the lineup starting to come together. But, uh, you know, Marco, you know, maybe over the last couple of years hasn't hasn't resonated as much on race day as he as he has in the past, but he still really put together a, a nice career at the Speedway. His second, a couple, three or four, fours, uh, top four finishes. Uh, he's been really competitive. I think he's had six top six finishes, won a pole, 
Uh, nearly won the 06 race as a rookie. So, you know, he's had a really nice career. And so I think he's a real real asset to the event. Yeah. And, and you know, if, if the Andretti bunch kind of writes the ship a little bit at Indy because they've been, been off their game from where their standard was in recent years. But if if they're on their game, he can win the 500 at, at any point. So we'll continue the conversation we had a little bit last week. Won't go through it all uh, again, but, you know, as much as has, is being made about the NASCAR drivers and if they will find a spot, I want to go back to Tony Kanaan. I think that's the most fascinating and, and maybe where the dominoes are kind of going, and it, it probably does have something to do with Jimmy Johnson. So Kanaan is being mentioned as a possibility with Errol McLaren SP when Zach Brown says, hey, we want a veteran. And you're thinking, what, well, veterans are available? Well, it's it's Kanaan. It's Ryan hunter Ray. Those are the top ones. And with Kanaan, I think it probably is depending on what happens at Ganassi and what happens with Jimmy Johnson. They may not be interested in doing two one-off programs. If Jimmy's a one-off, it may be either Jimmy or Kanaan but not both of them. And then I want to go back to the Johnson scenario as well. Um, You know, I've thrown out the idea that it'd be in Jimmy's best interest that his car be running full-time and he would be part of that full-time crew. But let's think about it from the Ganassi perspective. Is that something they'd be interested in and having one of their cars shared with multiple drivers? Because you're, you're only going to get a certain caliber of driver that doesn't command being in a car for the Indy 500. Maybe it's a fifth car uh, or so forth. But what if they want Jimmy to be an extra one-off car, maybe two off if he wants to do another race, but I'm not sure that he does. Well, first of all, I I can't remember. Correct me if I'm wrong. I can't remember very many, if any, part-time situations that they've had, meaning a shared ride. Have they ever done a shared ride? They did with Sebastian Saavedra a few years ago, and who was he? Uh, Sage Karam. That's right. And I was was going back to the Sage year and couldn't think who who he shared the ride with. Sebastian Saavedra is a good answer. Uh, but that has not been their practice. Yeah. So I don't think that's their preference. Uh, you know, the only way you might see that is if they viewed Jimmy on the ovals and then somebody who suits, who really fits their their long-term plans. But I don't see anybody out there that, that, that checks that box. You know, if you could talk about Alinas Lundquist. and they all road and street courses, yeah, that would make sense. And yeah. they and that driver was, you know, get a learning year on the road and street circuits, and then he's prepared. But, you know, they're not really in the developmental driver business, driver development business, as I guess is a better way of saying it, because their cars are good enough uh, to attract top-level guys or, or guys with funding. Uh, but to straight out, develop somebody doesn't feel like where they're at in 2023 and i just my guess i talked to jimmy a little bit after uh petite lamar and and the only thing we really talked about was he's got nothing offered specifically for imsa right now he's like raising his hand you know somebody have him call me i know there are no rides in the top class but i'm open to gtd lmp2 whatever i want to do the rolex 24 we didn't really get into indycar um but my guess is I, I'd be surprised if he does anything other than the 500 now. I yeah. think he might be more likely to be interested in doing Long Beach again 
than doing the the other races. I would, if I'm him, feel like, hey, mission accomplished. I was competitive at Texas. I was competitive at Iowa. It's going to be hard to win in a special circumstance like that. So let's just call it a day and let's continue on down the road of my bucket list events. Yeah, I agree with you. The only exception might be Texas because not only does it, well, it does, we talk about that a lot, but I don't think Jimmy need extra laps at Texas to go run Indy with the amount of days that are available and hours and time and experience that he has and experience a team has. I don't think he needs that for Indianapolis, but I think he could win Texas. That that's the, difference texas versus you know some of the other tracks he could win texas he almost won texas this year with with no experience so that was a pretty impressive he was running fifth just a blink or two behind uh you know really for third now he probably couldn't run with mclaughlin or or joseph late but but it was pretty impressive so if ganassi is looking for jimmy to be a fifth 500 entry and someone full-time for the fourth I'm really struggling to find out who that is because that needs to be funded. Unless they can talk Carvana and American Legion into funding an entire car or at least most of the car for the season, and then they can hire Ryan Hunter Ray um, or Linus Lundquist. I don't know who that is. I agree with you, and and if Hunter Ray's – in my mind, is not going to sign up for the road and street courses without the Indy 500 uh, in a Ganassi car. Um, and Unless they'd let him run for somebody else, which has happened before with other teams, but, but is unlikely. But ultimately, what what I thought you were starting down a path with is I don't see how Kanan fits the Ganassi plan in 2023. I think the only way he fits is if... Jimmy is sharing exactly. the fourth entry and Kanan is the fifth, which is, I think, how we got to how could Kanan be available to Errol McLaren SP. And as a one-off, I feel like Kanan is highly valuable, not just because he finished third in the race last year, but what else he brings to the program. We saw him most weekends last year doing driver things that the active drivers didn't ha- have time to do, hosting guests. That's a value for Ganassi that I would think they would like to continue on. If there's no room at the end, then I'm sure a McLaren SP would be happy to have them in their Taj Mahal of hospitality. And he would be uh, he'd be a, a real asset for Aaron McLaren SP at Indy. Yes. How about this? I, David Land put this on Twitter today. Uh, if Kanan ends up there, they would have second, third, fourth, and fifth on yep. their roster. Pato finished second. Kanan third, Rosenquist fourth, Rossi fifth, and Connor Daly responded with, oh, and the uh, first and sixth place finishers have McLaren history too. Marcus Erickson ran with their team, and Connor finished sixth and ran with the Sam Schmidt version of the team a few years ago. So, yeah, that might might be a place to be. Um, as for Ganassi, the other, you know, Oliver Askew, Matt Brabham, Stingray Rob has budget. You know, are they going to be interested? What, what do they think of Stingray Rob? I don't know. Ed Jones has some money out there. They've been there, done that. I'd be surprised if that happens again, but you never know. This is where there might be someone we've just not thought about. Is there an F2 driver? Marcus Armstrong has been testing for others. Do they think highly enough of him? He might have the money 
to be able to come and, and field that one. So if that car runs full-time, I think it's going to be with someone we're not thinking about. I agree. I think it's because the, the drivers in play that come top of mind – to me, don't don't rise to the level either financially or experience wise or potential to to merit that seat. Twitter questions and more still to come on Trackside. Hey, this is Jimmy Johnson, and you're listening to Trackside. Couple of quick Twitter questions. Sean Starkey at Sixth Avenue Concepts. So, if this isn't the same McLaren papaya orange between eighteen to twenty two, why can't McLaren use Menards yellow? Got a picture of, um, yeah, a car from 18. That's definitely a different shape of orange than one of their Formula One cars from this year. So he's referring to some speculation that uh, that Menards wouldn't be acceptable as a primary sponsor for Kyle Busch because it's not papaya orange. No one's confirmed that. I don't. I, I'm going to guess there's an amount of money uh, if the right driver was attached to it and the right zeros uh, there could probably be some changes made there so i don't know if that's true or not i'm also not i also don't believe that zach brown really means that he only wants a driver with experience because zach brown likes attention as much as he likes experience yes but you talked me into this last week i I, we've all said that this is perfect for him but at some point, wouldn't he just want to win? Might might he say, you know what? This is the year. We'll worry about attention yeah, I know. and marketing later. The best way to market is to say that we've won the Indy 500. Well, he's got three guys, three guys that can do it. And let's not do anything that makes it harder to do that. Let's don't spend time on a rookie driver who's probably going to crash at some point. Um, I think it can still be done. You just simply say, hey – Fourth drive over here crashes. Nobody from the first three cars is spending any time. It's on you. You guys put that back together, and when you're done, tell us. We'll be over here. I, I think he's more likely to run the experienced driver, a canine. It makes a lot of sense, but I also think that I wouldn't put Kyle Busch or Kyle Larson in the inexperienced category. I also think he's saying that because Tony Kanaan is available, Yeah, potentially. That's what's making me think there's something to this. Agreed. I haven't asked Tony about this because I'm assuming every journalist has asked Tony for comment. They all have his phone number. And the fact that we haven't seen David Mulsher Lopez or Marshall Pruitt or Nathan Brown write anything means Tony's not ready to comment. And I respect that. I understand that. He can't say anything until you get to a certain point. So I'm not going to bother asking him. It's more fun just to guess about it anyway. Yeah, it's much more fun to, to speculate. Pat Carroll, Pat C508, what's going to happen in Music City Grand Prix if the new Titan Stadium plan is approved? Team website says it will be built in the parking lot starting next year. So I don't know that there's a definitive time, but they have taken a step forward. The mayor has approved uh, a new stadium, a dome stadium, which would almost certainly lead to a Super Bowl in Nashville, and it probably would essentially be where the racetrack is at, and we've talked about this before. I don't know. That's a question I'm going to the next time we see Mark Miles or Roger Penske or someone else ask, yeah, where do things stand for 2024 and beyond whenever this starts? Are they going to have to take a year off? Is there somewhere else the track can be? Do you run the Nashville Super Speedway for a year? What's the plan? Because I don't know how they can build a new football stadium because I'm, I'm assuming they're not tearing down the current stadium until the new one is built. Because the team's going to need somewhere to play in the interim. And 
for a period, it's going to be a mess. And there's not going to be any parking. And I don't see the infrastructure for a racetrack, but I might be wrong. Because they've been working on a stadium for a while. This is not a brand new thing. So the organizers of this event have known that this was likely to come at some point. So that's one of the questions that we will have. What is the plan? Put that on the to-do list. Let's get someone from the Music City Grand Prix on and see if they will comment on this uh, coming up in the near future. Same thing. I'm going to guess the other journalists have asked. I've not seen an answer at this point, but... Everyone will continue to effort in that regard. All right, hour two coming up. More of your Twitter questions are welcome at Kevin Lee 23 at Kurt Cavan. It's Trackside. Hi, this is Will Power, and you're listening to Trackside. He could be a commercial voiceover artist <laughs> in the part time. His brother's in the show business game. Will Power can do that as well. Thanks for staying with us. Hour two. Of the big show uh, from our downtown studios for the evening because we've had special guests. Doug Bowles was in for the first hour. Podcast will be up at 9 o'clock. If you missed that, go back and listen to Doug. I think he covered a, a lot of things that give us some answers. So I think there's some note-taking available there from well, what Doug told I, us. Well, I looked up and I thought, man, he's covered a lot of ground. He'd only been on 10 minutes. Yeah. So he, he uh, talks fire. quick. We ain't messing is- around is uh, ready ready to go. Kurt Cavan, Kevin Lee, Josh Molinix is our studio producer, and Dr. Nasser Hanna uh, is our in-studio guest. He donated the Prime 47 Burger Bash, benefiting the IU Simon Comprehensive Cancer Center, and Dr. Hanna is one of the leading doctors at the Cancer Center, so worked out well helping your cause. And we've done this in the past where we auction off a chance to come in studio and talk about what you want to talk about. I'm not sure that you can pump your business in certain circumstances but when your business is saving lives the floor is yours tell us about some some things that are going on with the cancer center i know something that's a a byproduct of that in your field program that you're involved in called end lung cancer now yeah well i appreciate that and uh, give me a chance to talk for just a minute on this so uh we're getting closer to the month of november And November is Lung Cancer Awareness Month. So a lot of people may not know that lung cancer is the number one cause of cancer death. And that is true for both men and for women. And um, it is uh, a a terribly um, awful disease. And it affects thousands of Hoosiers every year. Um, We have an opportunity to make a big impact on the number of people who die and suffer from lung cancer, and that is by getting your screening lung scans. So only about 7% of people who are eligible for screening lung scans get them. This is in contrast to about 75 to 80% of people who get their colonoscopy, Mm -hmm. women who get their mammograms, It's only 7% for their lung scans. And so if you're between the ages of 50 and 80 and you have a history of smoking, what we call 20-pack years or more, so a pack a day for 20 years would count as a 20-pack year history, you might be eligible for getting a lung scan. And uh, that's something that you should definitely discuss with your primary care provider. So you could have quit 25 years ago if you're 65 years old 
and still could be eligible for this and catch something potentially earlier than you otherwise would have. Yeah, well, as long as you, uh, if you're currently smoking or have quit less than 15 years 15, prior. okay. So that would meet the eligibility criteria. And these lung scans have the potential of finding lung cancer in the very earliest stage. Right now, about two-thirds of people who are diagnosed with lung cancer have already had it metastasized. Mm -hmm. And in those cases, very few can be cured. So lung cancer is very curable in the earliest stages, and lung scans have shown that they can significantly reduce mortality from lung cancer. And in like my dad's case, it was way too late. It was... It was over by the time it was even discovered something like this uh, as a smoker. If he would have done this two years earlier, uh, might have made all the difference. So fantastic program. Where can people find out more? What's a, what's a website? Uh, you can go to endlungcancernow.iu.edu. Uh, that's our organization and our mission. Our vision is to reduce the suffering and death from lung cancer. And our mission is fourfold. We want to increase the number of eligible people getting their lung scans. We want to eliminate the use of cigarette consumption. We want to increase enrollment to clinical trials. And we want to support advocates and patients and their caregivers who uh, have this diagnosis. Uh, we want to reduce the stigma because uh, no matter whether you smoke or you've never smoked, no one deserves lung cancer. Thank you for coming in. Thank you for donating to your own cause in this case. So it worked out quite nicely. And uh, it's been a pleasure to be associated with the uh, the Simon Cancer Center throughout the year. And we look forward to uh, hopefully more in the future. Well, I appreciate being invited and, and uh, spending some time. And I have to say, we have just had a blast uh, being involved with Jackson Lee Racing. And it is, uh, it is a lot of fun. And I appreciate the, the uh, time here tonight. So the uh, the program was for 2022, so Jackson's car is on track this weekend in IMMS, so there'll be a big IU Cancer Center uh, logo on the car this weekend, so we'll look for pictures of that as well. And because uh, you are not required to stay, and you literally will be trying to save lives tomorrow, you can head home anytime you want because you've got a full day tomorrow. So thank you for coming in, Dr. Hanna. Thank you. All right, we'll continue our conversation, Kurt, about things going on and uh, what's happening in the world. Thank you, Dr. Hanna. We'll see you soon. Um, what's next on our list of, of topics we want to get to? So we've talked about the 500. We've talked about uh, where, oh, the Sebring test from last week. We've got some new names. I think we spelled them all out last week. But some reports about how people did as we look to fill the full season seats from last week. We talked about Tom Blunquist. I told you what Michael Shank had told me. He told others the same. He did very well. He is a legit candidate for a future seat with Meyer Shank Racing. I think he'll be more than a legitimate candidate. I think he will be uh, in the seat before before too much longer. So, yeah, and and people, uh, you know, have a sense for for who he is. Obviously, a standout sports car driver and and somebody that uh, you know is somebody that that I think can step in pretty seamlessly. Uh, at the IndyCar level. So uh, good for him, and and uh, we'll see where it ends up. I'm trying to find the quotes because I, I know I cut and paste them out of, uh, I think, Nathan Brown's story this week with Michael Shank basically said what we all kind of thought, that he, we love Elio, and he's fantastic for the program, but we'll 
probably need better results in 23 for him to continue full-time in 24. Yeah, and I don't think that's any surprise to yeah. anyone, including Elio. Yeah. I mean, it was not a great year. Uh, I was doing some research working on the Indy 500 uh, media guide for next year. I was working on that today, and I happened to see how many laps uh, Elio led in 2022 if I if I gave you the number twenty five for twenty five laps led, would you say the over or the under? I'm going to say the under. Yeah, the under was one lap. Yeah, I he don't, led didn't know one he led any. lap in in twenty twenty three, or twenty twenty two, and and uh, and honestly didn't get a didn't get much of a call from the broadcasters either. Uh, no disrespect to the broadcasters, they talk about the drivers who are competing for the win and and for prime real estate on the podium. So. Yeah, it was not a good year for Elio, and it wasn't a great year for Simon Pagano, by the way. Let's, yeah, let's in, don't... in fairness, the program wasn't where they hope it will be. Yeah, and they took they you know they basically went to a full two car lineup for the first time in 2022. So I wouldn't put this all on Elio. That's just that it stands to reason that if that if a seat becomes available, uh, you know he's got a 50 50 chance of being him uh, and his age and and so forth. And if it were to go like it did. This year, next year for Elio, I think he would also be open to doing something different because it was nice to also see in print Mike Shank saying, hey, we've got room for Elio in a third car. He's got a few more years because if he's going to win a fifth Indy 500, we want it to be with our program. And I could see him sliding very easily, maybe just swapping spots with, with Blumquist, maybe being a full-time sports car driver again. He was very good at that. Yep. figured it out, or even moving into an endurance role and being an ambassador. And it might not, not even be a pay cut. Same thing like I talked about with Kanan. Kanan, I think, had tremendous value with Ganassi. I don't know what his contract was like last year, but he probably should have been paid more. You know, he did more than just nearly win the Indy 500 for them. When you have someone of Tony Kanan's stature or Elio Castroneves' stature available available to you at race weekends and not needing to drive the car, uh, that's massive. Yeah. I, I think you could argue that you might pay someone to do that of Elio's stature almost as much as you would to drive the car because it's more work for them than actually driving the car. Yeah, I think there'll be a, a little bit of a fight for their uh, services uh, and maybe uh, with each other because I think you know, you need a pace car driver on a regular basis. The series could use somebody like Elio or TK to be kind of its consistent, um, its consistent, you know, leader in that that department. Not that the others haven't worked out really well, Sarah and Sarah Fisher and Oriol Servia, but a team could use them in the in the manner you just described. So I think they'll have opportunities for those two guys moving forward. So that was one of the guys that tested. Blumquist was the quickest in testing. Now, by the way. These testing times that come out don't necessarily tell the story. We've always said we never know what people are working on testing. Eh, yes and no. They're trying to go as fast as they can, especially in this kind of circumstance. It is like a race. You want to have the best time available to prove yourself. But in IndyCar, well, this, this applies to all formulas. You don't know who had an extra set of sticker tires. Uh, when do they put the time out? Did they have a mechanical when the track was the best? And in IndyCar's case... Push to pass is available, and I saw a story with David Malsher Lopez at motorsport.com. Dale Coyne says, hey, we were told by Honda not to use it. We didn't use it, and the others did. So our guy, in their case, Marcus Armstrong, 
his lap time, which was like six tenths off of Blumquist, he said that's not indicative. If he would have used push to pass, he would have been within a tenth or two. So the others there, Blumquist was fastest. Yuri Vips, who has won in F2 with Ray Hall Letterman Lanigan Racing, 53.0. Jake Dennis, Formula E driver for Andretti Autosport, 53.18. Marcus Armstrong, 53.47. And then the uh, the Junkos driver from Argentina, Augustine Canapino, 54.1. So he was the one that was off the pace. And keep in mind, he doesn't come from a significant formula car background so this may have been just kind of a getting a feel of it kind of situation so i wouldn't just rule out canapino because he was off the pace in this i don't know what his scenario is uh i don't know where his development is i know he's very good at what he does in touring cars and sports car type things uh back at home and then daniel frost who's already signed with hmd and dale coin racing one of their eight now confirmed drivers Tested alone on Thursday, and Coyne said basically he was a lot better than we expected. We really liked what he did. And then I saw a story today with Racer.com that uh, he might be in play for the IndyCar seat at Dale Coyne Racing. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't get to that. I didn't derive that uh, from from the article, and and didn't didn't consume it enough because I didn't think about him being an IndyCar candidate in twenty twenty three. Three. I had to think about what my years are. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, getting back to Marcus Armstrong, he's highly, highly regarded from F2. Uh, I think he's won half dozen races, four or five, something like that. Maybe four. He's, he's won multiple races, and I think he's regarded because he's won races, and I get the impression he has budgets. Yes. So he has that magical combination because, you know, Matthew Brabham, I think, somebody like Brabham or Ask You or name other drivers that we're familiar with, might be rated higher, but they don't have four plus million dollars attached to them. And I don't know if he has eight million for a full budget or if it's less than that, but I believe he has budget. So Marcus Armstrong is probably going to be somewhere on the grid next year. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, his, there's a lot of uh, intrigue. Well, unfortunately, there just aren't a lot of seats. You know, we've talked about that. There just aren't a lot of places as we we look across the IndyCar landscape at this point. Maybe Ganassi, we've not resolved Dale Coin Racing. Uh, help me uh, for miss. We haven't resolved the second Hunkos Hollinger. Second Hunkos Hollinger, which which obviously could be the Argentine driver, but you know not necessarily. Uh, he's got to be qualified, so to speak. And if he's that far off the pace, is he is he is he qualified in Ricardo Hunkos's mind? And and is it worth what budget he might bring? You know, to get or else get someone else. And then the other possibility is maybe a shared seat with ed carpenter if they want to do a, a third car full-time might be simona di silvestro maybe a third driver gets involved in that to make it a full-time effort i don't know if Pareto autosport has found the budget to do most of the season at this point or not uh and then we get back to how does that how many cars is ed carpenter willing to run in the indy 500 because if Simone Di Silvestro is involved in a partial program, I would think they would want to put her in a fourth Indy 500 car. I think Ed Carpenter is maybe the only hope to run a Kyle Busch or a Kyle Larson unless Team Penske changes their mind. Agreed. Agreed. Because, uh, or, or, like we talked or about, Aaron McLaren, McLaren changes their mind. Yeah. 
Errol McLaren SP or Team Penske changes its mind. One of those two. Or the dollar, the, a zero is added on to uh, what somebody is willing to pay to help put one of those people in a car. I want to go back to the coin situation. David Malsher Lopez is, is the Dale Coin whisperer, I like to call him. You know, when you were a journalist, you, uh, a journalist outside, you're still a journalist, right? Yeah, yeah. I still consider but, but, you, but you're working for the company now, but when you were working for an independent, you know, you're always digging. You're always trying to get people, and it was, Dale Coin was sometimes difficult to reach, was he not? Very difficult. Uh, and then he would call you on a on a whim, and you might talk for an hour. And when you see Dale, <laughs> the best chance to get Dale, if you go up to him at the racetrack, he'll tell you everything. He'll tell you everything, but he's like, eh, I'll call you when I call you. Well, David gets him to call back. And some quotes from him last week asked if Marcus Armstrong's performance uh, made him a strong candidate for a third DCR ride alongside David Malukas and Takuma Sato. Here's where we start to get a little bit of insight. Coin replied, he's a very good candidate for a ride with us. Yeah. Third car? Question mark. We have to see about that. Meaning, hey, we don't have the second car wrapped up right now and then he goes on to say david is staying we know that that's all done so i think that's significant there because that's that's going a step further rather than just hearing secondhand um he's not going anywhere when dale says that's all done i take that to mean we have a signed agreement i'm not interested in if anyone was looking to buy out his contract, which I'm not sure that they were. Uh, but, you know, I said, eh, 2%, 2%. But cross that off. We'd like to get Takuma done, too, but we're not there yet. He's in Japan trying to get the tails together with all his sponsors, but he's hopeful, so we're hopeful, and he's loyal to us, and we're going to be loyal to him, end quote. So what that means is we don't have the budget assembled yet for Takuma, so that is not a lock that he's the full-season driver. That's exactly right. And and getting back to the Malukas into that, Dale Coyne is one of the guys. I say this as a as a journalist. I, I think of myself more as a sports writer. Uh, that that okay. whether or not I'm actually you know producing news or not or chasing stories or not is not really the issue. I write about sports anyway. Uh, when Dale Coyne says something definitive, it's like the discussion with Ganassi relative to the contract with Alex Pillow. You tend to believe him because mm-hmm. he's uh, he he doesn't give you very many definites, but when he does, they're pretty well locked in. Further quoting Dale with David Malsher Lopez, Marcus seems to have given up on Formula 2, Marcus Armstrong. He seemed enthusiastic about us and about IndyCar. If we can get a third program together to run Marcus as well as David and Takuma, that would be the ideal scenario. While Coyne expected Armstrong to be as impressive as he was, he admitted that Frost's performance had exceeded his expectations. Um, And he goes on to say he's set for an HMD with Dale Coyne Racing Program for next year now a story posted today by racer brings up the possibility of frost moving to indycar now quote from dale coin of course if the door or maybe this is from this is from daniel frost um Marshall Pruitt writes, signed to return to HMD for a third season of Indy Lights. The prospect of moving to IndyCar in 23 has become a topic of conversation after drawing the interest of the DCR team. Quote, of course, if the door comes in the right time, right place, I will feel like I'm in a decent spot to actually be able to race the top level guys. But that's only if the option comes, Frost said. But I don't mind doing another season of Lights, even though I feel like I've already learned and know the basics of what I need to do to go fast um goes on to say so he's already done two full seasons of lights he's won a race 
didn't have a great season this year. I kind of expected a little bit more. I also would say the competition was really good this year. Yeah, it was a good, good when, class. When uh, I think Linus Lundquist is special. And when Matthew Brabham can't win the championship, and we all think Matthew Brabham is really good, that, to me, helps vouch a bit more for uh, Linus Lundquist. I think Benjamin Peterson is really good. And he didn't really get it started until the end of the year. He had a good start to the year and a good finish to the year and won a race and ended up finishing, I think, fourth in points. But but I think there were, were a good eight or nine drivers in Indy Lights this year. But what I'm reading from this is uh, Dale doesn't have a deal done with anybody else. Maybe someone else has swooped in and is taking up Marcus Armstrong, and that's no longer an option. Because last week, to David Malsher Lopez, he was talking about Armstrong, Sato, and Malukas. So maybe he's looking at filling a seat. And again, I don't know what Daniel Frost's budget level is, but somebody's paid $5 million over the last three years for him to run Indy Lights. So there's some money there somewhere. So he has some budget. Does he have the full budget for IndyCar? But that's where that's in the conversation. So it's basically... Yeah, if you've got the money, we think he actually is qualified now. We wanted to see it, so let's put him in the conversation, and whoever is willing to commit first, we'll talk about it. And it could be that maybe they've learned something about Sato, that that's not an option right now, so we've got to go somewhere else to go along with Marcus Armstrong. Um, And by the way, that third car only happens again if Ganassi is not running a fourth program. So maybe that's telling us something there. When Dale is openly talking about a third car, maybe he knows something. The silly season that keeps on giving. Yeah. This and is... notice what we're not hearing there? Linus Lundquist. Yeah. it's. Ooh. We had that conversation uh, amongst guys today. He um, mentioned a lot of drivers in the Malsher-Lopez story, and he didn't mention Linus Lundquist. So I had had a hope, and I know a lot of people did, namely Linus Lundquist, that Henry Malukas was going to say, "That's my guy." I, that's my guy, uh, because I think Henry has said that we'd like him to move up to our program. But at the time, I believe Henry Malukas thought that there was one point two million dollars coming along with him for winning the championship. It's not. It's five hundred thousand. Eh, that's seven hundred thousand more out of my pocket. Um, all right, how far are we going to dig to do that? And is there somebody else that might bring a budget who's pretty good, too? So that's one scenario. Another is, hey, maybe Dale didn't mention Linus. Maybe Linus is getting closer with Hunkos. Maybe that's a scenario. Could be. Uh, Maybe he's a candidate for Ganassi. They normally don't hire young drivers unless they've, they've done that a couple of times, but they've come fully funded. Are they willing to finance someone? That would surprise me, but I'm holding out hope there yeah i have a i have a lot of uh a lot of time for linus lundquist both professionally and personally uh i think he's of of good quality uh to step into a, a ride in indycar and i know his he's one of the really nice guys that i've i've come across uh in this sport and so you hope for him uh but hope doesn't pay the bills and the only thing that would concern me about uh hunko's hollinger's second seat I mean, the way it, adding Linus into it is does do they have the budget to make that happen? Or are they going to have to have somebody that brings more to the table than than 500000 That is the hope, that a quality driver with budget is there. 
But just like with Henry Malukas, who probably could write the check if he wants, uh, Brad Hollinger could write a bigger check if he wants. But he's already funding Callum Eilat. Um I don't see a lot of sponsor stickers on that car, unfortunately. Yeah. So most of that funding, they have some associates, but it's pretty blank most of the year. So Brad Hollinger is funding a lot of that car. For the right circumstance, he might do a second one. What is that? I don't know. But there's the the chance of that uh, maybe coming to fruition there. But it's just one to keep an eye on. You know, hopefully Lundquist is not the first. I think the only Indy Lights champ that hasn't raced the next year in the last many, many years is J.K. Vernay. That's right. Who won it. I don't know what year that was. Yeah, I can't place the years. more than a decade or so around that. 13 maybe. I don't know. Something, something like that in that range. Um, so there was one other thought I had on that. So you know what? I'll think on that. And then we'll move on to the next item of business, including who has HMD side. They're kind of like the McLaren of, of Indy Lights. They signed another driver today, and I thought there's still one more that's coming. Might they go nine? Uh, we'll do that and more coming up next. Trackside 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Hi, this is David Lucas, and you're listening to Trackside. Josh Timely on the rejoiners. We're going to talk about... Uh, David's family's team. We've talked about their IndyCar program combined with Dale Coyne Racing. The Indy Lights program, which is HMD, announced another driver signing today, and that makes eight. Are they all eight now announced? I believe so. Let's do some. I think so. I can't name them all. If you ask me to name them well, all, I got I them written do down. It. Okay, I, but I can't. I got them I, written down here. So Josh Pearson was announced today. Josh drove in USF 2000. Last year, the year before, he's still only 16. He was the youngest driver ever. Kind of snuck through IMSA uh, guidelines this year. He was entered in Le Mans and was the youngest to ever compete in uh, the 24 Hours of Le Mans at 16 this year. And that was announced over the winter. And then he was the youngest to race at the Rolex 24 and was still 15 and I'm not sure everybody knew that he was still only 15. And it was like, oh, he's already here. Okay. And and he was qualified because he had done some pretty decent testing and did fine in the Rolex 24. Uh, the path has always been towards IndyCar, but he's running for Zach Brown's team in LMP2. Isn't everybody, by the way. Next year. <laughs> he is yet another McLaren driver. Not McLaren, but a Zach Brown driver. So Josh Pearson was announced today. I'm not sure that he's doing all the races because I think the World Endurance Championship program will take priority, so he might miss some. Uh, Rasmus Lind was announced yesterday, I think. So Rasmus is really good. He almost won the USF and Indy Pro Championship, and and Kyle Kirkwood is the guy who beat him barely in both of those years, I believe. So he's been in Indy Lights before, and he's back. Kiffin Simpson was announced previously. He finished the season with them. Christian Rasmussen, who might be the favorite next year, who won a couple of races with Andretti, is moving over to the program. So that's four. Nolan Siegel is another driver that's done some high-level sports car racing. That's number five. Daniel Frost, we talked about, is number six. Christian Bogle returning for a second season with the team is number seven. And Josh Green is number eight, a former Team USA scholarship winner. So there's eight. Now, what surprised me... What I had been hearing 
what I had heard, and I felt okay mentioning it because Roger Penske said, hey, we're thinking about moving Force Indy over with another team. So what I was hearing is that that was going to be uh, with HMD, but maybe not because that's already eight. I was kind of counting the ninth or the, the eighth rather being Ernie Francis Jr., who I believe is coming back in a Force Indy program. So are they going to technically support Force Indy and it's still going to be badged a Force Indy car? I don't know. Or is Force Indy going to be aligning with another Indy Lights team? That is still a question to be answered. And I would think we might start to see some sort of an answer on that this weekend. But maybe not. Because Force Indy, I think, was working a little bit with an established team this year. But that was never really publicly stated. Um, But there's still some thought in that regard of going full in with another team. So there's eight of the 16 to 18, we think, with one team. Generally speaking, you would say, eh, that's not ideal. But you know what? In junior formula racing, no one's racing for the team eight. You got to look out for number one. So the battle within those drivers is going to be fierce. I don't know that we've seen an entry list yet for this weekend's Indy Lights test on Friday. I have not. But I think it's six, It's 16. I think that's the number. So not everybody's there. That's good. But 16, I believe, on Friday. And basically all day on Friday, you'll see the Criff Griffiths Memorial Test for Indy Lights. And uh, that'll be good. And Jamie Chadwick will be there. I know that. So the, the two confirmed Andretti drivers are Hunter McElray and last year's Indy Pro 2000 champ, Louis Foster. Um, Jagger Jones, Parnelli's grandson, has been confirmed with Cape Motorsports. And I think those are the only full season. Well, Jacob Abel. I feel pretty confident that Jacob is going to return with uh, Abel Motorsports. Yeah, I'm pretty sure the, about the that. The family team. Although I don't think Jacob is running. No, I don't think he's weekend. running this weekend. But, and, but he's coming back. And he has he'll have a teammate, I believe. Well, th- that's not set yet. So I, I know this weekend, Jack William Miller, Dr. Jack Miller's son, who's been in Indy Pro 2000 the last two years, he's running an Indy Lights car with Abel, but he plans on, and, and I can tell you how I know this, he plans on running it uh, in what is now called USF Pro 2000 next year. There's been a relabeling, and we'll... Probably won't have time to get into all of that. Um, but he's planning on running the full season of what was Indy Pro 2000 again next year. And my son Jackson is going to test the USF Pro 2000 car with Jack Miller uh, coming up on Saturday and Sunday. So the USF 2000 and what is now called USF Pro 2000, they are on track on Saturday and Sunday. And Nikki Hayes who was Jackson's teammate at Cape, who came on at the end of the season. He had his last two weekends were really good. He had a couple of podiums at Portland. Nikki is going to test the Able Motorsports Indy Lights car this weekend and is hoping to move up, but, you know, everything is far from determined at this point. By the way, I think the most interesting of all those that you just mentioned at the Indy Lights level is the fact that Christian Rasmussen went from Andretti, where it was very crowded at the top field, to HMD, where he ought to be the lead, the lead driver, if you will, 
among those eight, or at least right near the top. I just think it's an interesting switch. Yeah. So they have a lot of people. They have a lot of drivers that I think are going in thinking, I should win the championship with this team. Rasmus Lind is good. In in that car, depending on who the engineer is, Rasmus Lind is a championship contender. Uh, I'm going to guess Daniel Frost feels like he should be a championship contender in another year with that team. But you're right. If I had to pick someone right now that's the favorite, it's Rasmussen. He is really, really good. Well, I don't I don't know if he's my favorite for the championship. I just think he's the favorite for that team. And then I think Hunter McElroy. Hunter McElroy is the other clear favorite yeah, in the Andretti he, car. He's an Andretti car. So one of those two would be my pick. And I just think it's interesting that Rasmussen kind of – whether this was the intent or not, but from the outside, it looks like, you know, I was banging my head against against a whole field of, of Stingray Robs and Hunter McElroy's and, and Matthew Brabham's. And, You're still going to be doing that. Yeah. Um, here, here's, I can say this, Christian couldn't say this, but and he's not told me this. I've not talked to him. The last I talked to him is a Petit Le Mans, and he didn't have anything. He was, he was looking for budget. So... My honest opinion on this is HMD offered a better price than Andretti did. Could and be. that's why you move. The two programs are great. If you're a driver, you've got no problem returning to Andretti. You've got no problem moving over to HMD. It's, hey, I think I can win a championship for your team. And this is kind of how junior formula car racing works. The teams, whoever signs first, unless they're a clear championship contender – probably is paying the most that's how it starts the asking price to start with is a certain level and then if it's adding an extra car sometimes there are discounts available especially if the driver has a chance to win a championship so this is the business of junior formula racing it's selling seats customer racing is what it is even though it's pro racing so to continue to sell your seats at a high price, you need to win championships. So that's how quality drivers like Kyle Kirkwoods and Oliver Askews can make their way to IndyCar without huge family money, without family money, by simply being good. And a team will say, all right, we're going to help you out because this kid over here's family is paying the full price, and that's going to help subsidize your car. So that would be the honest assessment of that is that my guess is to how that got done that quickly. So Jackson Lee will be the last to sign when the prices have fallen the most. Uh, it, it It's a gamble. <laughs> it's a gamble that you sometimes can find a deal. Now, here's what I would also advise people. And this is not meant to be disparaging, but you get what you pay for. Because if they're going to do a discount, then, well, they've got to trim some budget somewhere because somebody's got to pay for it. Right. So unless you think your Johnny is going to win the championship and they're going to go all out to make that happen. You need to be a little bit wary of that as well, but it, it, it's fascinating side conversation that we got sidetracked on, but there are race cars at IMS sure. coming up this weekend, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. You can watch from the, uh, from the South end on the mounds by the museum. I would assume. Yep. If you happen to know someone with Jackson Lee Racing, you can come and join us in our suite if you want to sign up to be a sponsor for 2023. Absolutely. Well, that, there's, a, there's an asking price involved in that. Other topics. Jenna Fryer wrote this uh, on Twitter from the Associated Press. In a wide-ranging interview, David Wilson said, David Wilson is the head of uh, Toyota, Yep. 
uh, one of the heads of Toyota, but he's he's the, the racing face and the people we see at racetracks, said Toyota has told Roger Penske not now, but not no on becoming the third IndyCar OEM. So that's aligned with what we've been hearing. We've kind of heard no, but I heard again a couple of months ago, eh, maybe. But we've already said we're past the point for 2024. I'll take maybe. So we're, we're look, yeah, exactly. And I think you're looking at 2025. They got a lot of things going on in sports car racing. I think they're uh, working on a GTP, which is what DPI was. They're working on a potential top class program. I don't know where that stands, but that that is something that's potentially in play for them uh, too. Track situations. We talked about Nashville, uh, and and this kind of came out. In and I think probably Marshall Pruitt called about this after we saw the news about the uh, football stadium being built, but there will be no changes to the layout for next year. That's been announced, and one theory I would have, I don't think it got really into it too much, but, hey, we're not going to go to a big effort to make a lot of changes to this track, yeah, but this right. is the last year that we can run the track in this current format if there's a football stadium sitting on the footprint next year. So that would make some sense, and I know a lot of people, oh, it's got to be changed. That was terrible. Eh, it was not. It was not for the purist, and from a fairness aspect, it was way too random. But people like chaos. And if you're only doing it one time a year, now I say this is someone not paying for the crash damage. I understand that. But it wasn't as awful as some made it out to be because the casuals found it interesting and it was still a good event. Would I like to see more green flag racing? Would I like to see fewer crashes? Yes. Yes. But... It didn't get to the point where you have to cancel the events. I'd like the stadium to be built on the other side of the bridge so that they have to reconfigure that end. Because the other end, the, the, the end where the stadium is, is not really the problem from my my perspective. Uh, Turn, what turn is it? Right, turn one at the start. That left-hander there. It was a little better this year, wasn't it? It was wider. Was it? Mm-hmm. I That's believe they so. they crashing. Well... <laughs> Sometimes you have uh, silliness go into effect. But uh, I think, anyway, it's it's the, the first corner on the other side of the bridge that's, that's pretty troublesome. Um, I'm going to speak on F1 in a moment, but maybe we should spend a moment on NASCAR. Oh, my goodness. So if people have been out for a little while today, Bubba Wallace has been suspended for the Homestead race this next weekend. I didn't know which way that was going to go. Uh, NASCAR, I think, found themselves in a bit of a predicament because you can find circumstances where drivers have clearly intentionally crashed someone before and have not been suspended. I don't think the fight was the issue. And as Kyle Larson said, I'd much rather him come over and beat me up than crash me. Bubba's excuse that the steering wheel broke doesn't quite jive with the... If, if the steering wheel broke... I find that odd that you hit the gas. And that's what he couldn't hide from, is that they have the record of, of that happening. So it was pretty indefensible. So in that case, NASCAR, I think NASCAR was faced with the dilemma of, all right, if we want to be taken seriously as a mainstream sport, you can't have this. But what about the other precedents involved? We haven't always suspended people 
where do we go from here? I, I don't I don't worry about the precedent so much as when 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 drivers are taking using their car as as a device to inflict damage, whether financial or otherwise, on another on another team. To me, I what the, what what some other leader did in the past or a decision or circumstance doesn't matter. If you thought if you think suspension is the right thing to do, you should do it. And Noah Gregson in the Xfinity race was under the same leadership. Understood. Yeah. Here's what I think is different now from even then. I mean, you can make the case that they're going 20 miles an hour or 30 miles an hour faster or whatever because that's that's a road course, although that's pretty that's fast pretty headed down to turn five. Yeah, yeah. Here's what I think is different. And I think the drivers, the driver community would have demanded something happen. And I'm going to guess they are all highly disappointed in Bubba Wallace, who I think is well-liked within the driver group. But they have been getting together in the last months and saying, somebody's got to look out for our safety. This new car, unfortunately, not, it wasn't done uh, purposely. It, it just so happened that it's not as safe. It's too rigid. And drivers are getting concussions, so they're going to work and have to figure this out. But in the meantime, they're all walking a tightrope right now. And when we're all having these internal discussions about what can we do to make the sport safer and you blatantly do this that's unforgivable i think for the drivers it's probably in bubba's best interests to be sitting out for a little while not that they're going to go crash him intentionally but um i don't think he's going to be very popular for a while agree agree and i think you're right to to maybe to an extent this is good for him because somebody may have taken a little more uh, license with, with the situation this next week. Yeah. But. So that's just one of the things going on. Uh, but there's a lot of stuff happening in NASCAR, and that's kind of what's fun about as much as I want the IndyCar season to be longer, I do enjoy eh, spending more time with NASCAR at the beginning and the end of the season when I think it matters the most. I kind of miss some of the middle part of the season <laughs> when we got other things going on. We'll touch on Formula One and see what we miss coming up next on Trackside. Hi, this is Scott McLaughlin, and you're listening to Trackside on 93.5 and 107.5, The Fan. So I texted my buddy James Hinchcliffe today and said, hey, can we say this publicly? I haven't seen you say anything about this, so I'll say it now. Uh, Hinch is going to be on the F1 broadcast this weekend, the one that's on the Internet, not the one on ESPN or ABC. We've heard about the... Uh, streaming service that they've had, which I've heard is very good, F1 TV, but I've never seen it. But Hinch is doing this weekend, and I think he's doing a couple of more the rest of the season. Will Buxton is one of those on that broadcast, as well as the, the pit reporter. So if you have F1 TV, look for our buddy Hinch this weekend from Circuit of the Americas in Austin. It's the American Grand Prix. Uh, we've got isn't uh, Alex Pillow running this weekend? I think so. In, in free practice one coming up on Friday. Uh, Logan Sargent, I believe, is running for Williams. So he's the first American since Alexander Rossi in 2015 to run an official practice session from Formula One. He is one of the names that's a possibility for the Williams seat, which is very much in the back of the grid. But he's won one or two races this year in f2 so we got that going on this weekend mario got to run a 
an uh, eight or nine year old current Formula One car at Laguna Seca a couple of days ago. That was, that was cool. That was really fascinating to watch. Everybody's got to run a an old McLaren though. Raikkonen <laughs> did. Pato Award did. Pato was there as well. Pato is going to run at Abu Dhabi. I'm kind of surprised he's not running at the Mexican Grand Prix. Yeah, right. And I'm wondering, how do you decide who gets to go first? You know, is that a pecking order? Is it, hey, we're letting Palo because he was best in the testing, and in case we want to use him in another session, we can. Who knows? And people have asked, well, wait a minute. What about Colton Herta? You know, he's not a McLaren driver. So they were helping out the Andretti group and potentially helping themselves if they needed that, but... I don't blame them for not putting Colton in the car because Pato Award is a McLaren driver. Alex Pillow is going to be a McLaren driver, so let's find out about those guys. Colton Herta just signed an extension with Andretti, and maybe that includes the rights to him if we get a Formula One program together. And then I saw a German report this week that who was the manufacturer? There was a manufacturer looking to get into Formula One, and it potentially could be with it Ford. A, a report. How could you forget that one? Uh, that there. This is a German report. German Sport One said Ford wants to enter F1 by cooperating with Andretti. That's the translated version. So there you go. There There's a lot going go. on. So look for uh, that this weekend. Formula One in the afternoon instead of early mornings. And we'll see you next Tuesday night again, 7 o'clock with much more conversation. I'm sure the News Ferry will continue to deliver again. Thanks to Josh Molinix for Kurt. Thanks to Doug Bowles for coming in studio tonight and Dr. Nasser Hanna as well. Thank you for listening to 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan.